1: Welcome back to another episode of Keep It. My name is Aida Osman. Hello.
2: Hello, hello, hello. I'm Ira Madison III. And it's my
1: podcast now, bitch. Lewis is gone.
2: I know. Lewis Lewis is gone. I'm doing the intro. You're running shit. Shit.
1: I'm grown. (laughs) I'm grown. Yeah, devastating news. Lewis stayed on Fire Island. We can't find him. (laughs) We simply can't find him. He's refused to come back. He fell asleep in an orgy. He's selling poppers somewhere. (laughs) Um, I wish I knew more about Fire Island for this joke to keep going.
2: (laughs) It's all good. I don't know anything about Fire Island either.
1: Do you know what the meat rack is? I do know what the meat rack is. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners what the meat rack is? You know what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I had to do a lot of googling. It's like the place in the woods where they be fucking. That's all I know.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, you could, you say it, you say it, ma'am. Maybe I enough to say, say not less. Be running the pod.
1: Yeah, say less. Okay, I think say less. We need Lewis back.
2: It's fine. You know what? He needs to take a break. Every now and again, you know, yeah. this boy is in every episode.
1: Cool. He needs to cool his motors off. He's never. He's he never does not, not take here. a break. He does not. He needs a second. He needs a second to to unload and recharge. And his birthday is coming up. When this episode comes out, make sure you guys go wish Lewis a happy birthday. His birthday mm-hmm. is August fourth.
2: Yes, celebrate Lewis's birthday. Go to McDonald's and get yourself a sweetie meal.
1: Yes. Oh goodness. Okay, so (laughs) yes, sweetie has a new meal out. Have you rushed? Have you rushed to the McDonald's, the McDicks to go get it? It's not out (laughs)
2: until I think next week. Uh, But I have a lot of thoughts.
1: Well, what demon in me thinks I need to go to McDonald's to try this? Like I haven't had every single I
2: wanna try it, but part of me makes it feel like the whole thing about her being online, like, always being, like, eating weird stuff, right, was just a gag.
1: You think so? It was, like,
2: a shtick to, like, lead to something like this.
1: Yeah, I'm like, girl, you have all this money. Why do you eat like a convict? <laughs> what is going on? She, I watched a live of her once where she used crushed flaming Cheetos to rim a tequila drink she made. I was like, no, something's wrong with that, girl. It's not it's, all there. It's not all it's there.
2: It's wild. It's either something's not there or... She's gaming us, trying to look It's Or it's quirky, a game. Trying to look quirky.
1: Uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, so this episode, we are going to be joined by the lovely Jennifer Coolidge. That's an exciting interview that Lewis and I got to do, so mm, love that. I'm
2: not in it. I'm not in it, which is sad because I have so many thoughts about the White Lotus. Ah. First of all, give her her Emmy. What a show. Immediately. Not just for the the speech that she had on the boat um, while scattering her mom's ashes, but also when she laid down in bed and threw the ashes <laughs> off <on> the <laughs> of that Um I also, like, want to commend Mike White for, like, really analyzing, like, Whiteness and liberal privilege Mm -hmm. uh, in this series is such an interesting way because it's like Natasha Rothwell, honorable. I should should be I should be mad about her playing like a mammy character, right? Yeah. But she knows that this is what this woman wants, but she's leaning into it because she wants to escape um, this life that she's in. It's such a great nuanced portrayal from both of them, and it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, other thing. Murray Bartlett is giving me a gay character I've never seen on TV before. He's giving me mm. anti-hero. He's giving me Breaking Bad. He's giving me rimming Lucas Gage in his office. <laughs> um, I want more White Lotus seasons with like him still running the White Lotus and like continuing to fall apart. With new guests.
1: I got you. You want like a, a Ryan Murphy situation, same yeah. actors. Yeah, but, you know, like the show
2: look. Hotel, Fantasy Island, you know, like he's he's still at yes. work and new guests come in.
1: <laughs> but it's supposed to give Anchor around him. Yeah. Well, we do talk about the show with her and just an amazing process and she speaks very highly about Mike White, so mm. you're correct. Mm. <laughs> you're correct on your, your guesses. We're also going to be talking about nepotism in Hollywood because of a lovely... Um, mm comments, twitters, tweets that we saw online, including Ben Stiller and girl, we're going to get into it. You know I'm about to bring up our good sis, Lena Dunham. And <laughs> not the good sis. The good sis. We also listened to the long awaited Billie Eilish album Happier Than Ever, and big shock, she's not happy. So <laughs> <laughs> We'll be going through every track on Are you calling Billie
2: Eilish that. a liar? Ugh.
1: My God, this girl went full Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Manson. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. I feel so sorry for the girl. But um, yeah, she did put her whole foot into this album. She and Phineas. Mm-hmm. The Eilishes. I guess Phineas isn't an eilish, but he's
2: he's just um protecting a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Mm. That's what he's
1: doing. <laughs> His gold digging ass. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> All right, we're gonna have some more keep it for you in just a minute. This week is the season finale of Crooked's fantastic scripted podcast series, Edith, written by friends of Keep It, Travis Helwig, and Gonzalo Cordova. As Vulture puts it, Edith is a fiction podcast that stands as a really good time, minute to minute, and that's no small feat. Find Edith, starring Rosamund Pike as Edith Wilson, is available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the words of Megan McCain... My father. Last week, <laughs> Jerry Stiller's son Ben went out of his way to wade into an argument he was destined to lose about the role nepotism plays in Hollywood, claiming that the children of stars have to fend for themselves after getting their foot in the door. Franklin Leonard of the Blacklist disagreed. Ira, how we feel about this shit? I'm irritated.
2: <laughs> First of all, I love that this like blew up into like a conversation on the view.
1: Oh yes, Whoopi was having a field day with this shit. And Megan McCain, like, ugh, like you're, I don't need to ever hear her speak, but I think the thing with it all is that this, so this movie is coming out, right?
2: Mm-hmm. It's called The Right Way, uh, and it's from Destry Spielberg.
1: If you don't know that last name, she is the, the daughter of Steven Spielberg.
2: <laughs> She's the white Spielberg child.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the, the screenplay is written by Owen King, another familiar last name, the son of writer Stephen King. And the cast, we're getting a Hopper Penn, who is the son of Sean Penn, mm. and then actor Brian Darcy James. <laughs> so, of course, this sparked a huge conversation on Twitter about whether Hollywood was, in fact, a meritocracy or if nepotism was the invisible hand that guided everything and every decision ever.
2: Mm-hmm. And Ben Stiller... Responded um, to Franklin Leonard's um, like quote tweet with Hollywood's a meritocracy, right? And he said, "Too easy, Franklin. People working, creating. Everyone has their path. Wish them all the best." Okay. Okay. Some people have a path like the Green Knight, <laughs> like where they got to go on like a long ass journey. Okay, <laughs> saga. I have to deal with like Joel Edgerton, but some people get to, you know. Take a private jet there.
1: Exactly. And Ben Stiller has the nerve to have these tweets as if he got a rag to riches story. You are the, the child of Jerry Stiller. You are the child of Jerry Stiller. Again, this is the same thing as Meghan McCain. I don't need you to speak on this. You're coming straight from the well of opportunity and access and of course, it's difficult to have a nuanced conversation on Twitter. Of course, it's like we know this, but both of these things can be true. Mm-hmm. But we understand Hollywood is not a meritocracy. Right, There's just entirely no way. And also, <laughs> nothing is. He
2: this is this is like a hit dog Hollywood thing, right? Because Franklin saying Hollywood's a meritocracy, obviously, like it's it is an easy drag. But Ben Stiller was in his feelings for like the wrong reason because mm-hmm. like he is insisting. People have to work hard. People have to work hard. And I'm like, listen, nobody's saying you don't work hard. I mean, I know my man Ben Stiller works hard, okay? You're talented. Like, ben
1: Stiller's extremely okay? talented. I'm- he was
2: working really hard on that Escape at Dynamara thing that I did not watch, <laughs> will never watch. But <laughs> uh, I'm, actually, I'm, a, I'm actually a Ben Stiller fan, uh, a state of Ben Stiller fan. I appreciate that people who are the children of famous people work. You know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But you cannot ignore the fact that, like, they get to jump through a lot of hoops. The rest of us don't have to. And they should also recognize that like some of the hoops that they do jump through are hoops that we wish we had like a lot Mm -hmm. of their hoops will be like a fear that like they are getting things because their parent is famous or just being like you know people being like um not taking them seriously just because they know that they're gonna be okay in the world but also if you're like Destry Spielberg, like you will be okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Even if people want to drag, like you can go home to your millions.
1: And that's the unsettling thing for me is like, luckily after this came out, Destry acknowledged the fact that she does have a lot of privilege. Like they're, I think hearing these celebrities be okay with accepting the fact that nepotism got them in the door, but they had to continue to work. Like these familial connections got them in, but ultimately like they have to be talented, which we'll see. We still got to see this film. However, what I don't like in the in cases of Hollywood nepotism is someone like a Miss Lena, who we know famously sold her show with like a post-it note and some ambition to HBO, <laughs> and you know goes out of her way to be like, well, nobody knows who my mom is. Uh, she's not even famous, like. You can't deny the fact that it's not about fame. It's about access. It's like you're Mm -hmm. missing the actual definition of what nepotism is. Like, yeah, your mom is an artist in New York or a photographer in New York, but you think she don't know somebody in the industry who got you a seat at the table to pitch your show to HBO? Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's just dismissive and rude and disrespectful to us to make us feel like we don't know or see that shit.
2: Yeah, you know, and there's also the fact that the people who are not born with any access, you know, you have to create the access because the whole thing about anything in the industry is it's all about who you know.
3: Mm
2: Exclusively. So you are building connections, you're going to parties, you know, you're working in rooms with people, uh, having conversations with like-minded people, and that is how you get a path to, anything in this industry but mm-hmm. some people already have those connections from being born because of their parents connections. yeah and that is the difference that is what you're re- we're re- trying to explain to people because you know it's like every job i've gotten is from knowing somebody but i had to do the legwork to get to know people because i didn't know anybody when i moved here
1: Exactly. And I, it's also nepotism has, is, has a lot of like dirty connotations because of how dismissive it is to people who don't have access. Mm-hmm. But I feel like life isn't a meritocracy. Like nepotism <laughs> is all... <laughs> you use nepotism- Like I used to work in group homes, right? And I had the best job in the whole group home. I got to do the overnight shifts. And I was making way more bread than all my girlfriends that was working there. Because my mom was the boss. <laughs> my mom was the boss. Like all of this stuff trickles down to every aspect of our life and that it's it is about access it's about who you know and how you can get mm. into places i think the most difficult part about it is once you're in once you're in these high positions like Destry was actually talking about, make sure you get young people who have been kept out of working in the Hollywood system, like being a PA or a writer's assistant, like these initial jobs that help solidify and edify you as somebody in the industry. Mm-hmm. Use your power to do that. And I'm not going to get mad at you about your nepotism. Right. Zoe Kravitz, do whatever the hell you want. Have that middle part. Look Miss Zoe. I'm watching High Fidelity.
2: Willow producing songs herself on her album. That's the good nepotism. <laughs> yeah, you know that's when um,
1: we'll be quiet
2: <laughs> I do want to say though that Destry did say I acknowledge that I was born with privilege I own that through and through I make it my mission to bring new talent into the industry and give opportunities to artists of all backgrounds no one should be left out because of the connections they don't have sis prove it who's in your movie show me yeah, that's what... <laughs> show me just show did, me one you you didn't hunt you got Owen King and Hopper Penn Come on.
1: <laughs> no, I would love to see it. And it is. It's not just the talk. It's like showing me that you care and that you are inclusive. And then again, putting them in. Look, yeah, you're right. She didn't cast no people of color. So right. I don't Get care up. who's getting you coffee. That's Listen. <laughs> oh my
2: Come God. here, boy. Bring me my coffee. <laughs> um I do want to point out though that Franklin then was like a mad that like the conversation got hijacked and it was really about if you believe that it's a meritocracy, explain Hollywood's utter lack of diversity behind the camera. That's what you should have said in the first place though. I love you, (laughs) Franklin, but you know you cannot have like nuanced conversations on Twitter. Yeah, you got to say what you mean first. Otherwise, it's going to become unwieldy. Mm-hmm. And also, he did point out that, like, listen, in all fairness, it's a short film. But also,
1: <laughs> what the is whole
2: that? casting of the short film merited, like, being in the trades. So, exactly, you know, yeah. like, nobody else's short film is announced in the trades. Mine better be. If I make one, though, mine better be in the trades.
1: Are you working on one, girl?
2: I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs>
1: Okay, keep it hush-hush. Secret, secret (laughs) things. Secret, secret things. I still love nepotism where it's deserved. Like black nepotism. I don't care. You think I'm going to... There's no interviews. All my friends are going to work for me when the time comes.
2: Absolutely. Black nepotism is the future.
1: It has to be. It has to be. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's another interesting thing. Like the lack of knowledge we have about if nepotism did play a role in one of our favorite people's rise, it can still tarnish who they are as a person. Like, mm-hmm. finding out your favorite indie artist has wealthy parents can be devastating. Like, King and Princess, no one's really even trying to hide it. King Princess, oh no! And here, that's the <laughs> a thing, though, whole like, Macy's heir. <laughs> but did she receive any money? Do we know? We can't. We can't. Like, it's just that ambiguity for me that makes it so difficult to even want to listen to her songs. I'm like, uh, mm-hmm. uh.
2: Then you see the people who you really enjoy. Like, I l- fucking love Jack Quaid in The Boys. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, but his parents. Yeah. But I don't think he gets any nepotism except from the fact that Dumois puts blind items about Jack Quaid in every other week. <laughs> Somebody over <laughs> there is running a racket, but it, it's probably not Somebody. him. Somebody
1: young little payola (laughs) industry payola well i think about someone like jane fonda Mm -hmm. (laughs) probably not as much as lewis does but um i think about jane fonda and being the daughter of henry fonda and if you just forget you don't it's jane fonda Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter at a certain point i i think that like let's say olivia date actually got to go to that college (laughs) that her mother tried to pay for her to go to one week into intro to psychology when she's failing you're just getting kicked out. Like there is still there is still a difficulty of uh, getting into these places and then establishing yourself and continuing to be talented. Um, and sorry to miss Olivia, but
2: <laughs> we know plenty of famous people's kids who are not doing anything or or you know try to get that access and then have flopped. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody's Paris Hilton. <laughs> there have been plenty of want to be Paris Hiltons. You know, like plenty of like people go for the, like the socialite route and just don't make it. Mm-hmm. Don't make it to the public consciousness. I'm sure they made it in the sense that like they're still they're still wealthy. They're just not in magazine covers.
1: Girl, the whole thing is a mess.
2: <laughs> mm, yeah, the
1: whole thing is a mess. I want you to name names. That's how messy I would like it to get. But um
2: what name names like famous people's kids who are not poppin? Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> no, you don't have to do that, Ira. I not don't on know, this day.
2: like. Rumor Willis? Exactly. Who?
1: She's, exactly. she's
2: popping, though. It like She has her fans. Yeah. She's great in the House Bunny. <laughs> she was.
1: I love the House Bunny. Oh, my God. I miss, give Anna <laughs> Ferris her flowers.
2: <laughs> and Anna Ferris like, came from um, nepotism as well, you know? She's Dennis Farina's daughter, and she changed the Farina to Faris. I'm kidding. <laughs> I literally
1: was like... You don't have Lewis here for these jokes to land. <laughs> you got to be clear with me. Um, Jeff Bridges admits quite honestly, like, I'm a product of nepotism. That's my best Jeff Bridges way. <laughs> I'm a product of nepotism. That's like how I started acting. I'm Lloyd Bridges. Like, he doesn't care. I respect that level of mm-hmm. candor when it comes to your background. And nobody's yeah. going to have that. I was homeless and now I'm an actor story.
2: Jeff's brother Todd is also open about it. Is this another one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Todd Bridget
2: <laughs> uh, You know what Let me, let me cut this out <laughs> Before we
1: <laughs>
2: Before we just said It's a mess
1: When we come back Lewis and I talk to the lovely Amazing, wonderful, hilarious And very, very honest Jennifer Coolidge So stay tuned
2: Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams Lewis Yes
4: You know our guest today from loving her immediately in everything she has ever done. And we're going back to the beginning here, but let's talk the American Pie movies, the Christopher Guest movies, the Legally Blonde movies, to Broke Girls She Killed It, Now you can enjoy her in the new movie, Swan Song, and the fabulous new HBO show, The White Lotus, which we will jump into momentarily. Guys, it's Jennifer Coolidge. Everybody start screaming. Hi. Hi. Hey. so excited
1: to have you on. You're truly like my favorite comedic actress of all time. (laughs) Oh. You're the type of actress that I will happily just fully give you comedian. You're the funniest. You're absolutely the funniest.
0: God, I didn't expect this. Some days you get rotten tomatoes, but today is a good day. Thank you. (laughs)
4: Right. Okay. In preparing for this, I read a bunch of interviews with you and you were such a delightful interviewee just in general. And my thought was, I feel like anybody who comes from the groundlings necessarily mm-hmm. will end up being an interesting interviewee. They've just got to know themselves. They have got to be ready to converse at a moment's notice. Do you find that people who come from an improv background are just great people to talk to, like friends you keep?
0: Yeah. I mean, I do The groundings in particular, though, we all had jobs and we were uh, just sort of scraping by. I don't know. I think that improves things. It was a very humble. No one was pulling up in their fancy car at the groundings.
4: (laughs) It's so weird of people like thinking of people like you or Kathy Griffin or Will Ferrell having other jobs instead of just doing the thing we all know they should be doing. (laughs) It's funny to think of them. I don't know. Delivering pizza or whatever. they
1: Yeah. uh, (laughs) Bagging fruit at Ralph's.
0: (laughs) I thank all my humiliating jobs. Every day, because I feel like they helped me out. I guess, one, they were so humiliating. I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. (laughs) I got to figure a way out. But also, I feel like humiliating jobs really, uh, it was certainly what I wrote about every week at the Groundlings. I mean, colors your life, for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, the longer it's dreary, I think the better you get.
1: Yeah. And you get all that time to experience and observe other characters and bring that into your art later. I feel like my funniest roles that I've done doing improv is like, I'm stealing this entirely from the cashier that I met (laughs) or this goofy woman in in the lineup, you know?
0: Yeah. The best characters I've created are truly the people that tortured me the most. You have that? Does that to
1: you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyone who has been the most like they're the most vocal of an annoyance, or I can like see every part of them. But ultimately, these characters still, I, the, when I'm doing them, they're love letters to this person. Now that I'm trying to become them, but yeah, they have to be. They got to have quirks. They got to have recognizable quirks. And usually they're annoying. Right. I wanted to ask you, you've had a busy pandemic. Girl, when was you inside? Because I saw you in Like a Boss with Billy Porter. I saw you in Promising Young Woman, Swan Song, and now also White Lotus.
0: Like, when did you rest? It was very strange because I certainly wasn't prepared for any of the jobs. I, you know, merrily eating myself to death in my home here in New Orleans. And uh, and and really, I mean, I'm talking about, I'm not not holding back in any way like, too fat for my car to get in my car i mean that that's how fat i got but you know and not really and i thought i was going to be drinking a lot but i i, I really wasn't because i thought it was the end i really did think it was the end i didn't think any of us were going to survive and so i was just going for it preparing for the end and so when i got white lotus that was sort of blew my mind that they would want me and then of course i was trying to postpone the job and see if i could get out of it till another time and it doesn't really work that way but But yeah, it was it was White Lotus. And then I got off a plane from that movie. I went straight to Dominican Republic for Shotgun Wedding and then Mm -hmm. straight to Montreal for Single All the Way and um, down to New Orleans for We Have a Ghost. So, I mean, it was a lot of jobs all sort of jammed together, but. I was able to squeeze the vaccine in there. And uh, and I'm really happy that happened. But that wasn't until, you know, the third or fourth job.
4: Well, society thanks you for getting that vaccine because you yeah. apparently could have spread it to four different continents based on where you've <laughs> just traveled. Yeah. I'm always interested when um, L.A. actors end up in new orleans because new orleans first of all feels like the only place in the u.s that could basically be its own planet like it's it doesn't relate to anything around it really it's not like any other city in the south what brings someone like you there are you surprised to find yourself there and you've been there now for what like a decade and a half
0: yeah i have yeah i mean thank god that my sister decided when you know my sister and i grew up in boston my sister, Susanna Kulich, decided to go to Tulane. Mm. And I really believe, like, if she hadn't signed up for that and I hadn't come to visit her, I don't know if I would have discovered New Orleans. I don't know if it was, like, my number one destination on the map. But when I got here and I started, you know, roaming around the city and stuff, I was like, oh, wow, I, I have to have a house here or something. Yeah. yeah, I really like it here.
1: Now you run a second-line club and you make po boys for everyone yes, in the, everyone in I the did neighborhood. in the neighborhood.
0: at night. <laughs> And
1: um, <laughs> this fully ingratiated into society. Um, I was going to ask you about White Lotus, which is amazing, by the way. And your performance in it is so funny. It's hilarious. Seeing you and Natasha Rothwell, like, again, my two favorite people <laughs> in one scene, I was just shocked as it was happening. Yeah. But, um, she's such a good actress. She's hilarious. Yeah. Well, you know, Natasha for yeah plays Kelly on Insecure and is just the funniest, mm-hmm. naturally. Now, what was your onset experience like for this role? Because you guys were... On location, you're in Maui, and but in the middle of the pandemic, and it's this large ensemble cast, but what was that like for you guys?
0: The hours were not my favorite. Sometimes you have to be tested for COVID every day, so you, the call time would be you know, two 30 or three to get that test and then mm-hmm. make up and hair. I mean, so, so it was getting, I, I just, I didn't like those hours of two 30 or three. I just don't, I never feel right, but the group sort of made up for everything, that group of people and that, that there was these sort of beautiful sea outside the door that you could go. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were finished your uh, scenes for the day, you could go swim with the other actors. And um, that was pretty great, but mm-hmm. I found I was incredibly distracted a lot of the time because I, uh, you know, we got there and, you know, the election was coming up. And I, it was just it very stressful. And of course, you know, you don't want to get COVID. You're petrified of getting COVID. But somehow it was the group. Mike White was at the helm and it was sort of an exceptional experience. It ended up being really exceptional. We all survived it. No one got COVID.
4: There's something about this show where it's full of self-absorbed characters. And yet there's something <laughs> very charismatic about how every episode it's about learning something new about each character, and then seeing new interactions between characters that at first seem crazy, and then in retrospect feel inevitable. There's something so smart about this show where like you just end up believing what's happening. And I was wondering, while reading the script, were you shocked to find out what we find out about your character, or were you immediately zapped into her? Were you immediately intuitively connected to Tanya?
0: Yeah. I mean, I really liked the role. Look, I really liked Tanya. And I thought, look, no one's ever offered me a role like that. But at the same time, I didn't want to do it. It was being offered a time where I've been, I'm very vain. I didn't want to be on camera looking like that. Even, even to play a role. I guess I was like in some, like, I was like, I'll just do this at another time. I, I was just like, we'll do this. And I wanted to do it in three or four months so I could get my act together. Mike sort of knew I was sort of hedging. In the middle of the night, I was lying in my bed trying to think of a way to get out of it. And then Mike this little text comes in on my phone and it's, it's from Mike White at like two in the morning. And it just said, are you afraid? (laughs) She sort of felt my, my anxiety through the airwaves, but it was him. And then this, this, I have this amazing friend, her name is Chase Winton. And I told her I didn't want to do it. And she said, but this is like a great role for you. And then I said, I know, I just don't want to do it right now. I said, I just want to wait till another time whatever. And she said, you know, this is, there is no other time. This is really all you have. You got to do it. Thank God I have some good friends that talk me out of my insanity and really, truly, what an insane thought to not do it. But yeah, to play someone that like complicated and tortured. And to be honest, it was sort of easy to play the role once I got there because I was sort of in sync. (laughs) There was some scary stuff going on at that time. And um, so I sort of felt in sync with it, it all. You know, sometimes it really works. Sometimes what you have going on can be, you know, parallel to with the character and then it all kind of works out conveniently, you know, this is one of the coolest roles I've ever, ever been offered, ever. Mm-hmm. And I almost blew it because I'm an idiot.
1: <laughs> you know, but it is still so nice to hear you just say the things that we all feel, which is that I'm vain and I know I have to be seen in a certain light and maybe I don't want to be seen right now. Like it's just refreshing to even hear somebody say that. So I appreciate it. I feel like actors feel it, but don't ever say it. <laughs> <laughs> So, thank you. But you know what? Speaking of uh, roles aligning with your life, and I imagine that it's going to be me and three other young women that watch this show that will resonate with this character. But Betty, you played a character named Betty on The Secret Life of the American Teenager, which was my first introduction to you. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember showing it to my mom and be like, "Mom, why can't you be more like Jennifer Coolidge in this show? Look how cool she is! Look, how- you are the best parent on that show. Sincerely, you're the only one that gave good advice to Adrian or any of the guys on the show. No, but remember, I w- I was Betty the prostitute. You were, and that's what I disliked about it. But like, I think that the show did a good job of like they made you a prostitute, but they made you an amazing parent as well. So it was like moral
0: conundrum. I'll never forget this. Um, I, w- I had a long monologue that I had to learn. It was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me in a scene, in an acting scene, because uh, ever in bar none. In the middle of the scene, this kid just does this giant yawn it was hilarious because it was like my i wasn't delivering it well i wasn't interesting and this kid was just like Ugh. you're like i, I don't know I, I still it makes me laugh still when i think about uh
4: just,
0: you know he just it was just an honest response to my uh bad acting mm-hmm.
4: my bad acting. <laughs> um well, okay well speaking of, of people responding to you i've been so interested in hearing mike white talk about you because he's one such a fan of yours but clearly also keyed into you in a way where he's like i know she can do this type of role that i've never seen her do and i was wondering what people in your past do you feel have best utilized you or seen potential in you
0: jared hess gave me a really great role in his movie gentleman broncos Mm -hmm. uh his wife jerusha gave me a great role in austin land yeah the White's br- brothers gave me an amazing shot. You know, I was like, American Pie, like, kind of changed a lot for me. And um, Robert Luketic and Reese and Mark Platt gave me a Legally Blonde. So without these people, I don't think I would have any sort of career at all. You know, there's a casting director, Joseph Middleton, and uh, I met him in an acting class like 30 years ago, whatever, but he's sort of put me up for some roles. I mean, there's these people that you meet in this lifetime that. I mean, I don't really know many people in Los Angeles, to be honest. I mean, as far as like in the in our world of acting, you know, in being an actress, like I don't know a lot of casting directors. It seems like the same like eight people have given me jobs just repeatedly.
1: That's fascinating to know the inner workings of that. I think as you know, someone on the outside, if you're not fully in the world, you just think, oh, these actors go on auditions and continue to go on auditions until a casting director loves them. You just don't understand the process at all. So to the gears of it all are quite interesting. Speaking of people who have supported your career the whole time, the girls and the gays, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> We're obsessed. We are Thank truly the obsessed girls with you. The <laughs> yeah. I, feel, I feel like I can't go anywhere into an environment with women or gays without your name being dropped or someone sheepishly trying to do an impression of you and failing. <laughs> so, um, I, But I do think back to Ariana Grande's impression of you that she did on Jimmy Fallon that was pretty spot on. And then yeah. you just popping up. Like the little cutie you are in the Thank You Next music video. I want to hear about that
0: experience. Well, that was very strange. That was like a really weird thing. I saw the imitation that she did. I mean, I thought it was rather brilliant. I think most of the world probably knows this by now because, you know, she's been popular for such a long time. But she's really funny, like a really funny person and so smart and advanced and, you know, just a really sophisticated sense of humor Mm -hmm. I don't know I've seen her do all these imitations and they're all really really they're not just sort of good Mm -hmm. when she did me I just you know I sent something like you know I don't know what she has like 160 200 million followers like the odds that she would get my dm or whatever but I dm'd her and just said hey I think you do me better than I do myself (laughs) and then like she sort of you know, something like some hearts and said, that you know, oh, thanks so much or whatever. She said something really cute. And then, and then you know, I thought there was that was the end of that. And then the next thing I know, she's asking me to do the thank you next out of just, you know, how cool was that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that just came out of like, I mean, she must have someone to go through DMs. You know what I mean? Like, how could you go through 160 yeah. million DMs a day?
4: Well, thank God she did. Yeah, um, thank God, right? <laughs> you know what's really
0: cool about it? It was really a brilliant song and a brilliant... I mean, I mean it would have been cool even if it wasn't great, but it's really great that it was like... that I play it, you know, in my car. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the one that I like. So it's, it's like
4: an immortal song. It is yeah. immortal. It's like her signature mm-hmm. song now, yeah.
0: And I like the message of it. It's like, you know... These people that break your heart, you know, you just got to give them less power and move on. I like that message. You know, I spent like way too many years analyzing some of that just didn't really like me.
4: (laughs) Uh, Speaking of, I guess, imitation in a way, like I'm so curious about somebody like you, like growing up and wanting to be in show business, because to me, your timing is so specific and and like, your characters are so lived in and like, sometimes they're so sincere in a way that makes the viewer uneasy. And anyway, there's all these like idiosyncrasies that are specific to you. And I'm wondering who did you ever watch like perform that made you thought, Oh, I'm going to do this too. Like, I know you're a fan of Meryl Streep. I read that, but I can't like, I, I, I can't imagine you watching like the French Lieutenant's woman and being like, Oh, that's me or whatever.
0: Oh no, but I did, you know, look, I was obsessed with movies and I grew up in a small town where there wasn't much to do. So believe me, I was like, I mean, I remember going to like the movie theater where there was like four bad movies playing whatever, like this, but I still would go and just sit in there and watch them anyway, just because, uh, you know, I was really, really obsessed with sort of escaping my inner thoughts and all the depressing thoughts I had. You know, when you grow up in a town where it's not quite, you haven't really found your group. I did really want to be an actress forever and I didn't know anyone in my town that wanted to be one. And I, I, don't know, I, I was uh, struggling with all my sort of insecurities and stuff like that. So the movies were, was of course, from, I think everybody, you know, it's escape, you know, and I was trying to think like, did I ever see one in a movie, someone in a movie that I was like, that's me.
4: Like I almost think of someone like Terry Gar or something. That's as close as I get.
0: Oh, I, like, I, love, I love Terry Garr. Yeah. I love Terry Garr. I mean, um, but I mean, older. I mean, I started like I distinctly remember people when I was old. like, look, I I was obsessed with, of course, everyone like every young girl. Like I'm sure Carol Burnett and mm-hmm. Monty Python. I was obsessed with like you know some of my favorite from like Muriel's Wedding was like one of my favorite mm. movies and um, great. You know, I thought Tony Collette was just I was couldn't believe you know her her performance in that. I didn't know if there was going to be a place for me in show business. I didn't know. I didn't see anyone go like, that's me. Or like, you know, I have a shot at this, but I sure as hell wasn't good at anything. And I think a lot of people like, no, I wasn't good at anything. Like I wasn't good at anything. (laughs) So I was in this like acting class and I'll never forget. I was in an acting class and like someone came up to me after class and they were like, I thought you're really, you're really good in this. whatever." And I was like, Was like it was the only time. No one ever like no one ever came up to me and said like you know wow you're meant to be a cheerleader Jennifer or you should give speeches around the world. No one was saying anything like you know I was a fast runner and no one was even encouraging me to run. I mean you know I mean no one was like a fan of anything I was doing ever. Mm -hmm. And then and then I'd be in another acting class or do something else or I'd be in a little play and then people would come up to me afterwards and I was like. It was really the only thing that I got positive reinforcement, and then I knew maybe I was onto something. When my I played a guy in this, like a uh, what is it called? Summer Summer Stock Theater, and I played a guy. I played a guy in this. It's called P.S. Your cat is dead. And I wore this little black wig. I played a <laughs> man. And I wore a mustache. And then my father invited like four of our relatives to the show, and I remember he didn't even introduce me to anyone at church. Like all of a sudden, he's the he's bringing my relatives to this show. And I thought, wow, maybe there's something going here that I could, you know, maybe I could do this or something, you know I mean? Like, cause they weren't going like, Jennifer, we can't wait till you play volleyball next weekend. I mean, they're just, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause don't you have all these friends? I have all these friends that are good at everything. Mike White's good at everything. Mike White can play tennis really well. He can write really well. He's an incredible athlete. You can give him any sort of complicated mind game and Mike can figure it out. You can give him one of those those cubes, whatever. And Mike can sort of hold it over here above his head. And then like, you know, pull back and it all <laughs> matches up. Like there are people that are just sort of kept mastered everything, but if you are only good at one thing, it's really simple to choose what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm saying like, I'm not even like, like, I didn't blow anyone away. And like when I did Rumpelstiltskin, one <laughs> of my people were like, God, Rumpelstiltskin, you're really good in that, but it was certainly better than nothing which was what I was so
4: used to. Oh, well, thank God you chose the one option you feel you were given <laughs> and uh we we have all benefited from for so long now. Uh Jennifer Coolidge, thank you so much for being here. Swan Song's out this weekend and of course, yeah. I we are all deeply addicted to the White Lotus and we will yeah. keep screaming your lines at you for the rest of Wait, your do life. You have any you're ideas? also like the most Oh, no, I mean about who's murdered, you yeah. mean? Yeah. Any
1: ideas? Okay, well You think it could be me? No. No, I didn't know. I did play with that. But in the first episode alone, I was like, there's just like a dreariness to this woman that's giving me killer and you're mourning the death of your mother. Mm -hmm. So it's like this could, I thought maybe. I'm still suspending judgment though. I'll wait. I'll wait.
4: I'll throw out one possibility. I'm going to guess it's, oh, it's got to be someone dastardly. I'm going to say it's it's not Jake Lacey because he's in the first scene where he's talking. they're talking about who's murdered. And I don't think it's Alexander D'Addario mm. either. I am going to say, I'll throw out Connie Britton. I think that'd be really weird. Why not? Okay. Oh, yeah.
0: interesting.
4: Your wow. Promising Young Woman mm. castmate, along with Molly Shannon. Yes.
0: yes. Isn't that wild? <laughs> we were all in yeah. that yeah. together. Yeah.
4: But all in disparate <laughs> scenes, really. So it's easy to forget you were all in that together. Mm-hmm. But
0: um, Yeah, we did something for like yeah. a for Andy Cohen and we were like oh yeah we were all in this we were all in this movie
4: we never saw each other but we're
1: all in this. right yeah. anyway thank you yeah, again thank and you. we will continue
4: to adore you whatever you do oh, uh, even even you. if it's volleyball even if it's <laughs> volleyball <laughs>
1: yeah. Swan Song is out Friday and everyone please go watch White Lotus Jennifer Coolidge is amazing in both of them and when we're back let's get into Miss Billie Eilish Guys, the sophomore slump is real, unless unless you are one Miss Billie Eilish, whose second album just dropped on Friday. She's happier than ever, and so are we. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. The, the secret is out. This is an interesting album to be listening to after watching her documentary mm-hmm. and knowing everyone she's talking about and hearing her very baldly say things like, you don't have a job, <laughs> <laughs> in her lyrics. And I'm like, this is... this woman I love this era of Billie Eilish I'm here for all of it I'm here for the pinup the corsets the disrespect the spoken word she's giving Lucille Clifton on one of these tracks I'm here for every (laughs) second of it Sylvia Plath. We're going to get to that. My head We're going to have it. We're
2: going to get to that. Okay. <laughs> Shel Silverstein. Okay. We're yes. going to get to her spoken word part. But <laughs> the album itself is. Watch yourself. Great. Okay, good. <laughs> it is. It is. It's great. I was expecting to like it because, you know, like I'm a Billy fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thankfully, Lewis' ass ain't here. Just uh, tell us that the songs are too slow,
1: yeah. These ambient bops, <laughs>
2: uh, be like, Oh, these... uh, it's a little too slow for me. It's like, Okay, why don't you go like listen to Liz Fair's 15th um album? This <laughs> go week, I don't yeah. know,
1: a tambourine Girl. and get a triangle out and just start. I don't know what you do, pirouettes <laughs> in your living room. Uh.
2: uh, I actually really can't get over like uh, a lot of the guys who um will come for like. Billy's song's being like that too slow for me. You know, it's not giving, like, bumps. I think because she's operating in this pop space and she's so big, Mm -hmm. there's, like, this resentment that she's not doing, like, the mainstream thing, that she's still sort of, like, an indie girl. And, like, in their era, the indie girls were more, like, Just for them, you know, because it's like because like she was giving me like um, Feist of one of her songs Mm -hmm. and I brought it up to a friend who adores Feist but hates Billie Eilish. And so I'm like, what is the gag here? Mm. Like like what's not clicking?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think, too, that this is a sad young woman. Like how many times do we have to tell y'all she's not going to be Dua Lipa? Running around doing spins. Like she is Dua Lipa a sad but not young even
2: woman. running around doing spins.
1: Yeah, well, she's doing her best. She's taking a brisk
2: walk. <laughs> she's doing a brisk walk and a slight turn.
1: With a face, the face that has a <laughs> level of focus, like she's doing quantum physics. That is how Dua Lipa dances. <laughs> Billy is giving us bossa nova she's giving us and i these are the same things critiques i didn't hear for someone like Alana del rey like we just took that summertime sadness and ate it whatever did all the pills w- with lana and we was quiet billy gives us tracks like sweet bossa nova 60s inspired 70s inspired like retro slow ballads and mm-hmm. with the mixture of Phineas's great modern production and instrumentation.
2: Yeah, it's giving you Portis Head. Yes. Uh, you know, it's giving you uh, the, the one song by Future, like, is giving you Corinne Bailey Ray. Like, mm-hmm. Billy put her records on. There exactly. are so <laughs> many influences in this album um, from music that I think used to have be like, you know, like sort of disparate mm-hmm. um, genres. Uh, when we were growing up. And now it's so exciting to see someone just sort of like mixing them all into one album because, of course, she grew up loving all this shit. You know, like hip-hop, trip-hop, pop, um, jazz, and coming, you know, from the parents of musicians, you know, some more nepotism. (laughs) (laughs) But... The good kind, because I'm loving the result.
1: Yeah, the kind that cultivates talent, not the kind that like pushes you into a room and gives you a studio. And mm-hmm. this one track, Oxytocin, I think I listened to Oxytocin it. Oxytocin goes in a
2: row. all the way in. Sincerly, all the way I heard in.
1: One of the best songs I've heard in years. Years. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what genre to put on it. It was reminding me a lot about an RIP missing Sophie and the way that like would just. Um, Use kind of these chopped up glitchy sounds and mm-hmm. still have beautiful soaring vocals over top. I love this song, it's so good. <laughs> I
2: love the, the playfulness of it too. You know, mm-hmm. it still has that fun playfulness of the first album, um, where she was like even sampling The Office. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could tell this is a young girl having fun. I really love, um, I Didn't Change My Number.
3: Mm.
2: Uh, I, I love her vocal inflections, the part where she's sort of like. And your best friend, too. I'm like, okay, she's giving (laughs) us vocals she's giving us you know like just having fun with lyrics and phrases and uh yeah really just relishing in this music the production is stellar Mm -hmm. Phineas is on the top of his game um and I want to say he put his whole pussy
1: in this shit (laughs) 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 he put his whole pussy in it Phineas is amazing and this is I don't want to pit them against each other but when I do I think about Sour Olivia Rodrigo's last album Mm -hmm. I mean the, the album of the moment contrasted against this one the maturity in Billie Eilish's production, song mm. content. Yes. Everything about it is just light years ahead and it feels like the big sister to Sour mm-hmm. in a way and I she's
2: slightly older, she's slightly yeah, older, yeah. but I also will say that listening to Sour with that album you can sense like the lyrical maturity there, you mm-hmm. know, because like there are other people writing pop songs that just feel sort of um Blank, Mm -hmm. and I will say that like Olivia in Eat Sog is like at least like making a meal out of her emotions in a way that like spells so much for her future. Lyrically, they're both great here. I would agree that I love the production on this a bit better, and also it's it's there's more varied influences. Yeah, you know, Uh, as much as I love pop rock anthems of sour, uh, there's so few of them. Mm -hmm. It's there's there's really a few more like disney balance on the album that i care for uh <laughs> and are and are a bit too slow and don't really like push forward with a momentum the way these do also happier than ever Ooh. gives us half ballad Ooh. and then get, goes full ass rock on it and that, Punk rock, that, that, yes. that, that 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 song is basically um the album sour in one song
1: mm-hmm. it's a switch up that i that's the thing with billy is i don't think there will ever be a genre or song or you know we I'm just obsessed with her vocal range like just mm-hmm. technically she is one of the best singers performing right now if yes. not the best singer and you know you hear that that intention that's why I'm so mad that she chose to do spoken word Emily Dickinson okay. <laughs> on not my responsibility <laughs> because you know what?
2: Billy, take your head out the oven, girl.
3: Girl, good stuff.
2: I want to hear your thoughts on this. Because I'm like, one, I'm like, it's not for me. The spoken word, you know, is is one that she fully states is for herself. Mm -hmm. But also I get for her younger female fans. But also this is one of the moments where it is her youth showing to me because it is presenting an idea that is not novel.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, like we've been dealing with this for Britney and other pop stars, like always, you know, saying like, hey, if I dress conservatively, you drag me. If I dress sexy, you call me a whore. Um, it's my prerogative. This, 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 this has been That's- a thing in, you know, yes. like mass media culture um, since, you know, Fear Street 1666. Okay. <laughs> but the, the, there's the concept that like she didn't make it a song. It's a whole spoken word thing, and I will say that as an essay – it would get some cuts.
1: I was going to just say that girl it just requires some trimming. It's, a, it's very
2: repetitive. It
1: requires some trimming. It's kind of laborious to get through it. To listen, I mean I could barely finish it the first time. <laughs> and I and but it was the thing that you said about it being humbling and us. it reminds the audience like this is a 19-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Like you might have gotten lost in her lyrics and her ability to paint these pictures and cuz she has such a mature tone, but at the end of the day this is a, a child mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to figure out how she feels and how to operate in this world. And I love how Ken she is talking about her career and the expectations that we've been we as a society have been putting on her she ta- of course talks about that in your power like the specifically mm-hmm. this relationship with a man but also she talks about it in getting older and you know it's only a year but is experiencing a lot of a lot of change during this time and mm-hmm. i don't think i needed that that track though i don't think not my responsibility needed to make the track listing yeah but also who's gonna tell billy That it shouldn't be on there.
2: (laughs) Not Phineas. Not Phineas. Slap him with the keyboard. (laughs)
1: She's like, add eight, more. <laughs> add eight more bars. Are you sure? We could just cut out here. No. Uh, I got to repeat what I just said.
2: <laughs> I do want to say that uh, I'm also excited for his forthcoming music.
1: <laughs> you you're the only one. <laughs> listen, <yeah. laughs> uh, listen Every I will, I will say goes.
2: that Ph- Phidias' solo tracks uh, usually are not giving, but the production's always giving. So I'm hoping like maybe in this new era, like he's got something to say. Yeah. You know? I don't know if this ep really had much to say and i'm like okay we i we know the billy side and from that documentary we got her side of the journey of their fame i want to hear his i want to get that full picture you know
1: i want to believe there's a story in him i want to believe there's a story in him but i feel like a lot of this well you know
2: what agent scully so do i <laughs>
1: He's in a loving, stable relationship. He did that GQ video, the Ten Things video, and his tenth thing was his girlfriend. I said, "You're too in love to make me happy." (laughs) You're actually happier than ever. I don't care. I don't care. No, but I I do want to hear what Jack Johnson sort of like hyper pop thing he's about to release. I'm sure it'll be fantastic. I'm excited. So,
2: his personal PC music. Yeah.
1: Pop, it should have stayed in the bedroom, girl. (laughs) Uh, Love Phineas. Love that for them. Listen to the album. Stream it. She
2: really ate this up. She did. I just want to point that out. She ate this album up. And I can't stop listening to it. Mm -hmm. I really can't stop listening to it. Also, I will say that like Oxy straight into Goldwing.
1: Oh, yes. We haven't even been giving the girls transitions. The outros to all the tracks. Yeah. Tell me why Spotify had the nerve to shuffle this album the first time I was listening to it. I almost punched my phone. (laughs) You better give it to me the way Phineas intended. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It's also just getting back to that era. You know, like, uh, what what I was talking to Rostam about when I interviewed him, about the era of Mm -hmm. giving you back albums where if you put, like, the vinyl on, like, you're listening to it straight through. You know? We've had so many albums that are just collections of songs, and this is... um, it's really just a treat. Oh, well I wish the album also ended at uh, happier than ever because it's such a high.
1: yeah and, and then, then for male, male fantasy, fantasy to starts, come in.
2: I'm like, uh, but you know what? Yeah, just like a pop star to have a fantastic album with an extra damn song <laughs> at the end I don't need
1: then do way too much <laughs> doing too much. <laughs> I'm excited now because I've Billy gives us what Madonna used to give us. I don't think the pop girls do as well anymore. I Save for the the fact that Lizzo just posted a beautiful photo and said, New era is coming. I said, Yes. I love when you just lay it out for me, Lizzo.
2: Yes. Lizzo said, listen, white girls, this music is not for you this time.
1: Step aside. We doing nigga shit. <laughs> 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 we doing niggas and nigga, nigga girls. The summer. hair is
2: done. Go check your nails outside.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> The hoops are hitting my knees. Okay, <laughs> um, Billy. This era, this Billy era, this this romantic giving like weirdly Rick Owens baroque <laughs> is, is is beautiful.
2: You know, I ordered my first Rick Owens um, shorts uh, yesterday. <gasps> You know, maybe it was the Billy Inspiration, but I guess I'm feeling Baroque. I'm feeling maudlin. I'm feeling melancholic. Yes. Uh, you know, Earth tones. I've got romance in my life right now, too. So, you know, I'm just I'm just Ooh, I'm just feeling uh, I said I've got romance. Oh, you OK. Yeah, you OK, right. don't, 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 I don't, don't push me yet. Overstep. <laughs> don't push me yet. Um but you know I yeah I'm feeling like I want to be in the woods um singing about love but also you know dressed for a funeral <laughs> okay I, I like I want to give you Chekhov as well. That's what this album is. This is this is Anton Chekhov.
1: Yeah, firing on all on all accounts. Yes. I uh feel like we never talk about our personal lives on the pod, so thank you so much for um divulging that you have romance, which yeah. I'm gonna get that on a shirt. I'm not in love, <laughs> yeah. but I have romance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Find that at the keep it merch store. The producers are on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, when we are back, keep it. We are back with keep it. I know y'all don't want to hear me scream about the baby again, but you know what's gonna happen. But first, Mm. Ira.
2: First, first, I I have a first brief keep it to the Olympics.
1: What? That's happening? That's going on?
2: It is happening, and it has um, Days of Our Lives on hiatus for two weeks, um, which the real implications. I'm not happy about. But I want to say, I didn't realize (laughs) until the other day, (laughs) even though I've watched Olympic segments. I didn't realize until the other day that it is still called Tokyo 2020. Oh yeah. It's 2021.
1: <laughs> but girl, we have we had time to make up. We have to do that. I, don't, make give up a, for I things. don't give a
2: fuck. Just call it <laughs> just call it Tokyo 2021. Mm-mm.
1: So that future generations
2: know that it did not happen in 2020 because of the goddamn coronavirus. I don't like this revisionist history shit.
1: Girls have to stay on their feet. Somebody gotta do it. Sh- can't run. <laughs> Y'all gotta stay on your feet.
2: My keep it this week, my real one.
1: Say it with your chest, Ira.
2: Goes to Matt Damon. <gasps> for a myriad of reasons. First of all, Matt Damon gives an interview where he talks about how his daughter wrote him this treatise, you know, this letter to tell him to stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and I I hate one. <laughs> <laughs> that in the interview and in subsequent like repostings of the story, I we have to be introduced to the phrase F slur. <laughs> 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 I hate nothing more than like the phrase N word. I hate you wanted Matt to r- say I really hate when people say I don't know. I just I just hate even having to like you know do this whole like well, I'm saying it but not saying it parading it. The worst, it, yeah. what I hate the most is when white people say "n bomb."
1: What is "n bomb"?
2: <laughs> it's like instead of saying it's like to associate the power that it has with it. But I'm
1: like, it's a bomb, niggas okay. yes, a bomb I now. Oh, n bomb. I understand. Yes, yeah. niggas a bomb now. That's what we are. We have to be violent. Explain.
2: Okay. We can't (laughs) be on planes, okay, setting off the metal detectors. (laughs) That's why Remy Ma had to walk around them and lean back uh, because we're we're bombs. Uh, But um, having to hear the phrase F-slur and read it constantly made my brain break. And then there was him doing a second interview saying I'm sorry I I've never was using the word fag I was just explaining to my daughter at dinner you know that I was in this movie Stuck on You in like 2003 and like we used it in the movie and that like I grew up in Boston and it was a term that we all use you know like uh, parking the car with the fags the car you know I, uh,
1: <laughs> the residual the embarrassment worst, the worst, and anxiety
2: the I'm getting the worst that I've ever done <laughs> Boston is coming <laughs> you <know>. for me.
1: <laughs> Coffee. Um,
0: Coffee.
2: But listen, I, I got like the whole like Boston, Southie, whatever thing, you know, like of growing up with people just tossing around the word fag, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. they they still say retarded there. Yeah. Yes. But I will say having to talk about how your daughter had to write a treatise that <laughs> it, you it's a thing you should be saying is the part that like... It's still not clicking for me because I'm like, you are old ass man.
1: This poor little Gen Z sweetie that is like, I imagine her on a desk with quill and parchment paper. Right. Like, daddy, stop.
2: Also, teenagers do not <laughs> write letters like like this off the rip, okay? Like, this is this isn't Jane Austen's era. <laughs> so, my question is. What did you do? Why did she feel so intent <laughs> to write something?
1: I don't believe it. I sincerely don't believe it, especially if you- I don't
2: believe any of this. Uh-uh. The whole story is suspect. <laughs> <laughs> the whole story is suspect and also is in my least favorite genre of celebrity interview in um, telling us something that we did not need to know. Like, why are you telling us this? Like People always make the joke like, they're publicists being like, what's going on? And you'll get to this even with baby, It's just like- who asked? <laughs> Who asked? It reminds me of when Liam Neeson did that interview and talked about how uh, his close friend was raped and he asked, he was like I asked what color was he? And she said he was black and then he talked about how he was like for like a year or so after was just like I was walking around looking fight. for a black bastard to kill. I'm like, was like, to I was like why did you need oh to tell us this?
1: Why did you need to tell us that? T- top of the morning. <laughs> Liam, put, top of the morning put to, put to you bed. nigga. <laughs> pow pow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I simply don't know. I feel like and we're talking about Matt Damon again.
2: <laughs> now I sound like I'm in the Green night. <laughs> top of the morning <laughs> to you nigga. Uh, which by the way. Dev is, is a jam of a movie. And you should go Deb see. Killed. just but Just because of Dev Patel's comments in it. His what? There's a cum shot in The Green Knight.
1: Okay, time for my keep it. (laughs) (laughs) Promptly time for my keep it. Let's transition. Wipe. Wipe the screen. (laughs) Um, (sighs) Speaking of suspect niggas who should stop speaking, and I don't want to be talking about the baby every week, mostly because I get death threats when I do. However, (laughs)
2: you get death threats from from the five to baby fans? The
1: baby! Oh, you no—it's a harem of these of these men that are ready Mm. to fight for this man, Um, because I—and this is the interesting. So keep it, of course, to the baby. Yes,
2: it's a woman's right to choose. You can abort exactly my body if you want to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's gone. I don't care what trimester we're in. So speaking of the saga, the saga of the baby has been so interesting because we watched this shift of black woman being obsessed with him to him slapping a black woman in the face and then him aligning himself with Tory Lane's, his coming out speech at Rolling Proud. We've, <laughs> we we um, <laughs> his, <laughs> his, <laughs> his strange music video where somebody like scribbled AIDS on printer paper so we could he could get a shitty unclear bar off about HIV. Who,
2: who went to Kinko's to print who? out AIDS?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which intern was like? I need five more minutes. The A is not. I need to. I need to keep going. The baby started off as this very funny gimmick. I wouldn't. Funny is so subjective. Like he wasn't giving. He wasn't giving us. You know, the um, Patrice O'Neill, Cedric the Entertainer. He was trying. Right. He, was he wasn't trying to even us- giving
2: us ludicrous or Missy. He was giving us. You know. Silk to Shocker (laughs) level comedy.
1: He was giving the last comic at Def Jam that uh, the audience has already trickled out to see. Like he was giving us just Mm -hmm. aggressive antics prop. I didn't know niggas was doing prop comedy.
2: Yes, maybe they'd go and get the um, cane for him uh, at the (laughs) Apollo and like there'd be some booze. uh, But he'd get like (laughs) 10 minutes in first.
1: Exactly, exactly. He'd be I'd be there heckling for sure. Why you look like that? Get off the stage. Um, okay, so all of this has happened, we know, but this I think we've hit a point where this man, especially after this music video, because I called Ira immediately after I saw this, before I even watched the video Truly,
2: I was I like I was like, not me with a missed call from Aida. and she <laughs> was like, Nigga, you gotta watch this video.
1: Drop what you're doing. It's called giving what it's supposed to give. What First
2: of all you're gay First of all why why do you know why do you know our slang well,
1: Where where you been hanging out
2: You watching legendary
1: Girl and I know <laughs> I know of course the trickle down effect black trans women goes to black gay men goes to black women goes to black men like I was out on Miami Beach and somebody the other day was like uh, it's the hair for me and I looked over and it was a six foot four, big ass, beautiful man who was hitting on me. I said, No, give me my lingo back. You can't have me like this.
2: It's the hair for me, Ma. Let it's me get he- a smile.
1: It's the hair for me, baby. Y'all are cat calling us in our language. Go <laughs> no away. Um, But it's just, okay, so I say all this to say he did a formal apology conveniently after his headlining sets at three major festivals were all canceled back to back to Mm -hmm. back to back.
2: The apology is not even giving. It's
1: not. It's It's Mad Libs. (laughs) And he didn't write it. And I can tell because there's too many words, first of all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's too many words. You know what's
2: really upsetting about this is the racism in the defenses of the baby, where they try and say, "How could you expect like a young rapper from the hood, you know, to like understand the nuances of AIDS and like, um, you know, the gay community?" And it's like, "Baby, are are you calling niggas stupid?" <laughs> are you, like, plenty of people, like, plenty of people come from the hood. Uh, plenty of people come from low-income households. Myself. And somehow I, like, wasn't raised to think that homophobia is okay. Plenty of people hear homophobia growing up and then sort of, like, go into the real world and learn anything and go, oh, okay. Yeah, that's not cool.
1: Maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, maybe I should stop saying the F slur. Maybe I should. Yeah.
2: Critical thinking skills are are not just for people uh, who didn't grow up in the hood. Also, the baby grew up in the suburbs. Yes.
1: So, <laughs>
2: the defense isn't even hitting.
1: It's not at all. It reminds me of, do you remember when J. Cole and No Name had that song back and forth where they had that rap battle? Mm-hmm. Where... About
2: about reading?
1: <laughs> yes. The hottest rap beef in the yeah. past few years.
2: The reading rainbow rap battle that we had.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> LeVar Burton bars that was going on. And J. Cole was like, my good sis, <laughs> No Name. I'm going to everything is my good sis now my good sis no name you have to understand that it's a lot of men in the hood who don't know how to read so you can't keep having a reading club and expecting us to pick up these books and it's just the same thing where it's you are undercutting and undervaluing all of your peers because you want to make a point
2: yes yeah, so let's stop infantilizing grown-ass men and saying that because they're black and live in the hood, like they don't possess empathy. They don't know how to read. Mm. They can't like tell right from wrong.
1: They weren't raised it's by idiocy. mothers that were constantly around them. It's stupid. It's idiocy.
2: And you're parroting conservative talking
1: points. <laughs> J. Cole, Candace Owens, one in the same. Quote me. <laughs> quote
2: me. What does Candace Owens have to say about the baby? <laughs>
1: Get her on wax. She's actually uh, <laughs> featuring in the next album. So don't, you don't release <laughs> industry secrets like that. But I think, lastly, sometimes there isn't room for growth, <laughs> <laughs> is what I have to say about the baby. Because what in that same speech, that same coming out speech that you gave, um, you went out of your way to terrorize, antagonize, disrespect, violate Meg the Stallion by bringing Tory Lanes out, and you haven't said shit mm. about that. And I don't want these apologies to He's keep coming terrorist. in installments. He's a villain. He's a villain. He's a villain. And that's it on that. And that's that on that. <laughs> and also that's that on this episode. Thank you, Jennifer Coolidge. Thank you to you guys for listening, and thank you, Ira, for letting me take take the the steers, take the Glissa.
2: reins. Are you Thank Jesus? Because you, you took the wheel. Uh, uh,
1: <laughs> Speaking of Underwood, I imagine that's what Lewis was doing all week. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 Getting carried
3: over. I'm not not this
2: happen okay. again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Lewis is going to come back
2: bye. next week. He's going to be on this bitch mad as hell. <laughs>
1: He's like, I don't have love, but I did have romance.
2: (laughs) Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Caroline Reston, and our associate producer is Brian Semmel. Our executive producer is me, Ira Madison III. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot. Narmil Konian and Milo Kim for production support every week and hey, stay safe out
5: there Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group where flip flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com.